Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, Dear Russians After All, which is meant to crash out, if not many, then at least some of the stereotypes and multiple prejudice regarding us, the Russians. February 24th, I couldn't help myself but kept thinking about how much I wanted to make this podcast idea of mine see the reality and finally come out with a series of talks of people who I know pretty well or who I don't. We'll see about that. People who are somewhat in love, in love with Russia, with the Russian people, with the Russian culture or simply the city where they spend considerable amount of time in. Every time it amazed me so much that foreign people found something Russian to fall for, whether it's Tchaikovsky Ballet, Red Caviar Pancakes, or simply as a local Russian girl around the corner. I thought that there would never be a better timing than now to start proving to our own selves that there is so much to be proud of, not to be ashamed of. Long story short, it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest of Dear Russians, a Frenchman from Paris who traveled to Moscow in these strange times and who kindly agreed to become the very first one to share out on, hopefully, some personal stories related to this country, to the nation, to the culture, or anything else he'd love to speak on. So, hello, Cyril. Hello, Aliona. <laughs> Can you please tell a few words about yourself and how do you personally feel connected to Russia? Well, first and foremost, uh, it's good to be here with you in Moscow. Well, um, about me, I'm just a French guy that lives in Paris. I was born in Lyon. I've been working in the financial industry over the past years. I've launched my own startups. But I'm really fond of uh, culture, really interested into European culture. And I would say, what, what is it that brought me here in Moscow? Well, first and foremost, um, a girl, for sure. But I would say that uh, I have a special connection with Russia uh, since I'm very young because my uh, grand grandfather was uh, Russian. He was the, what we call the right Russian who fought during the civil war at the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, since they were defeated by the Red Army, he left Russia to settle in the southern France, near the French Riviera, actually. So while I grew up with my mother, there was this kind of stories going on and that I heard about Russian culture, about Russian religion, of course, orthodoxy, but not only, and I was surrounded by souvenirs, old black and white pictures with my grandfather in uniform on it. And to be honest, when I was very young, I was not that much interested into the Russian culture, history. That was just something that was around me. But uh, over the years, as I uh, began to getting a bit more interested about history, the culture of Europe, I, I started to discover on my own the Russian culture. And um, Of course, and we'll deal with this element later on as we speak, I hope. On this matter, I would love to ask you some more questions. Let me just divert our conversation into a little bit of a different mundane, maybe, business. Can you remember your first time in Russia ever? Like, whether it was such a bright moment when you landed and uh, got off the plane, or whether it was already at the password control or on checking at the hotel. So, you tell me. And can you please recall as many details as possible in terms of emotions, of people's reactions, and uh, whatever else you think is worth mentioning? Well, I've been in Russia for the first time 
time in 2014, I was invited by uh, by a girl at that time, and uh, that was really my first time in the country. Although I had read a lot of about history of Russia, about its current politics and its culture, books, paintings, music, but my first time was in 2014. So I just landed like every tourist at the airport. First person I met was really the police officer at the border control, and uh, he was definitely not smiling. And uh, after that, I just took the express train directly to downtown Moscow. And I'm a very visual guy, so the first thing that impressed me was, of course, architecture this Sovietic symbol all over the place, the metro, that's for sure. Um, when you come from Paris with this uh, small, tiny and very dirty metro, you arrive in Moscow, this is, this is huge. But this gets here even more interested because since you live in Paris, then I want to ask you how come you were so surprised. Of course, because it was so different and maybe monumental, but you live in Paris, come on. Yes, I would say that it was very different. Maybe it's related to the Soviet past, but also from Tsarism, as far as I saw in the Kremlin, with this huge bell and this huge cannon. And yes, and these Soviet symbols all over the place. This is the first time I've ever seen that, even though I've traveled in many countries, in Europe. When I arrived in Russia, it was completely different. And of course, the mo- the, mo- the, the metro uh, is, is, is very impressive in terms of, uh, of beauty, of size, well, and the people look different, to be honest. I want to draw your attention back to the very first day. Can you remember, I mean, what, what did you have to deal with? Did you have to go and run for exchange office? Can you recall some, some, some tiny interesting details? for that matter. To be honest, that mm. was a mess. I re- this I remember for sure. That was very complicated because once I, when I arrived, I didn't have internet. So I wasn't able to even translate what I was trying to say to the person in front of me. So she was talking and talking and just trying to, like if I was at one point going to understand Russian, but uh, <laughs> obviously I didn't. So just with signs and, and uh, I said some French word that looked the same and billet, uh, billet and... Uh, And Rublay. And I've discovered that there are some of those, yes. And uh, I just pushed the button on the machine and uh, yeah, without internet and without be able to translate what you're trying to say, this is a real challenge. But Well, at least you survived. That's what we know for sure. <laughs> okay, let me then move on to something more abstract, maybe, or specific, if you want. What similarities, personalities-wise, you find between the Russians and the French? And of course, we're going to talk about the French, because that's where you come from. This is very interesting, actually. And uh, and I've been traveling a bit. I've been living in the U.S. I've been studying in London. And uh, when I arrived in Russia, that's for sure, that was a bit different. Uh, even though we look like the same. I mean, we all belong to this European family, but uh, we're very different. What you have to understand is that first and foremost, uh, the French people are really found and uh, I mean, in- interested into Russian culture. They are Russophile. And I didn't really understood why. Maybe that was related to history, the wars or whatever. But when, when I arrived, uh, In Russia, I, I, I could see right away that this is um, a shared feeling, which means that some of the Russians I meet, I've met so far, are really into French culture as well. So there's like a mutual attraction between our two nations, our two people. And um, I, I would say that first and foremost, I live in this cultural environment all year long when I'm in Paris. You are surrounded by culture. People talk about that, especially my friends, the people I get along with. They talk about books, philosophy, culture, music, whether it's uh, classic music, classic culture or modern one. And when I arrived in Moscow, the people I met were really into culture as well. And that was not something that, that, that they didn't get into on their own. 
they, they, they were raised like this. This is like there is this kind of cultural environment. People really value culture, value uh, cultural expertise, knowledge, passion, interest in. So this was very pleasant when you're a Frenchman and you arrive in a country and you try to start some conversation. It's easy in a way to meet people and be able to talk about this with them here in Russia. Well, this is very pleasing to hear. Obviously, you, it's just your personal experience on the one hand that you were lucky to meet people like this. But on the other hand, I would wholeheartedly agree with the fact that since our cultures are so interconnected, it's easier, a lot easier for the French and the Russians to relate to one another. And especially, I noted that you called us all one European family, which I am so appreciative of. On the other hand, what do you find to be the main contrast and differences then? First and foremost, yes, I do believe that the Russians do belong to the European family. There's no question about it. When you arrive in Moscow, when you travel a bit around Moscow in some villages, you're surrounded by this uh, Christian culture. The people very look alike in a way. But at the same time, that's right, they are They are different, and the first thing that struck me is men and girls' uh, relation, the way they interact with one another. Oh, 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 this is getting so interesting. I love that. So you're talking about something that you saw from the distance, like you see the, the couples, you see the crowds, and you see how men and women interact. That's what you're trying to refer to? And as well, from my personal experience, the, the, this, is, this, is, this is different. In what ways? But to be honest, even when, when you go to the U.S., I mean, even though we are so-called Westerners, they are, they are very different. They're, the way they, they, they see family, community, nation, and even couple we weddings and men and women uh, relations uh, we all have our differences with that regard and in Russia this is uh, this is very different okay well. so how, so how different <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna try not to make too many generalization but uh, already when, when you're friends and you meet Russian people you 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 right away notice that they are they are different in the way they behave in the way they flirt in the way there's uh, this kind of seduction game <laughs> at work and they are very successful in Western countries. This is so uh, funny. Seduction game at work. I love this. Quote by Surreal. <laughs> let's face it. Even though they are strong-willed, well-educated, ambitious as well, th th this is very pleasant because you can flirt really unlike in England or in the US where for a Parisian guy like me it's a nightmare. I mean, they don't know how to flirt. It's very a tough conversation right away. You talk about job, whatever. There is not that that game at play it's like if our wall roles are clearly identified which means there are more polarity and which means there's more attraction as well because uh, when there's a polarity I mean, the opposites attract, opposites attract obviously but of course it comes with uh, more responsibilities as well because for instance when you date or you are with a french girl let's talk about something very simple you go to the restaurant first date or second date in France it can be seen insulting for a man to want to pay the whole bill mm. symbolically you can pay for the first drink maybe the first, re first restaurant but mm. on the long run on the medium run you're gonna have to share a cost so that French girl is gonna feel that she's respected she's, she's independent which is very different here in Russia as far as I saw you mean men are men they have to behave like men and they have to pay as well for the bill this is uh, maybe a sign of galantry and this is what you mean by being more traditional most probably yes i would say that that was the way it worked 40 years ago in france <laughs> parents got to know one another this is the way it worked But since then, behavior have changed in France a bit. Since you say this, then we can roll out the whole conversation of the new ethics, which, of course, is such a huge agenda in a democratic country like uh, France, obviously, which changed a lot of patterns, right? Human relationships. But do you think 
that us Russian women basically being so flirty, seductive, according to you, or just traditional, is it something that runs in our blood, or is it something that we're simply surrounded with, and it's just purely the culture that defines us, whereas the environment which defines the current generations of the French is completely different? Yeah, of course, I think there's nothing genetics about this, but it's uh, it lies into the culture. Yes, what defines a uh, human behavior? Basically, if you're able to answer that question, you're able to understand cultural differences, even though we look alike again, but we are very different from one another. And you can feel this human interaction is not, not just about um, some words that we don't understand, or there might be some quiproquo. Then this is deep rooted into generations of education and of, uh, of living into a certain cultural environment that makes you who you are in a way. You can change after spending 20 years in France or in the US, a Russian girl can change as well. She's going to adapt. She's going to mimic her new environment. She's going to adopt, I'm sure, these, these new behaviors. Uh, well, from what it sounds, you seem to be enjoying differences in, in cultures, especially from the relationship points of view. I do. It's yeah. like in politics. When there's much more choices, it's much more fun. You can find what you want and what you like. When there's not that much choice, you're just stuck into one option and that's it. But choice meaning whether to go for a French option or a Russian version or choice that's as right. in what? No, that's right, for example. <laughs> because, of course, we all have our own personalities as well, which is maybe genetic to an extent. Your nervous system, how the brain, your brain is shaped, etc. And how you've been educated within your own families. So you might at, at some certain point not feel at ease with your own cultural environment. You you might feel that you're gonna express yourself and become who you really are within another cultural environment, which means maybe another city. When you move from uh, I don't know, Nizhny Novgorod to Moscow, or when you move from Moscow to Paris or to New York, you might be more willing to to live there because you're gonna be able to thrive and to really become who you are and express your personality. And I understand that perfectly because I'm from Lyon originally. I've moved to Paris. And even from Lyon to Paris, there are many differences. And uh, the home is where you can express your potential and where... where where you feel at home, so... Yeah, sounds very uh, French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, choice is always a good idea. Let me ask you this. Uh, what is something that still freaks you out in a funny way, possibly? Something Russian, something very Russian, even though it's so mundane and so routine? Well, yes, there are some uh, daily things, behavior that you notice right away. And for instance, uh, I would say that as far as uh, I've seen, Russians are not that much into services. They are not that much into marketing and selling things, which is maybe a good thing in the, in the end. Because I, w I remember when I was living in New York, I was fed up at one point with this fake behavior that Americans, some of them have in restaurants and shops. So they fake all the time to be a friend, to smile, to having a good time. And you can feel this right away that it's fake. It looks like on television, you're on television, they overinvest mm -hmm. emotional expression, which is a burden because just they want you to give them a tip or they want you to come back or to buy more products. So it's not anymore about real emotion and real conne human connection. It's all about the money. And here But don't Russia, you think it also <laughs> runs in their blood to an extent? I mean, that's not because because they're trying to sell you something. That's just the way they are. That's because right. that, they That's the culture out there. You overinvest surprise, you overinvest oppression, pain. And when you're in Russia, on the contrary, nobody smiles. <laughs> <laughs> nobody even try to understand what you're saying or when you're making an effort to speak Russian. But in the end, they are real. And when you make a real joke or when you try to build a real human connection, people feel much more authentic. The smile I've seen here are real smiles. <laughs> 
even though in Paris they are a bit depressed and not smiling as well because this is a tough city people don't have much of a time to talk with you and to create a relation or a normal human uh, connection but still um, in France they are a bit more balanced I would say it depends a lot but on average I would say that uh, you can have a conversation you can just uh, talk about the weather or COVID or whatever <laughs> daily topic you want to talk about but still people are a bit more easygoing regarding connection and relation when it comes to buying paying for a service for a good or something like that it's a bit different in Paris and this is not the case for sure in the rest of France and is it something that disappoints you here that saddens you here that just makes you talk less to people or is it something you just take for granted and stay neutral to well in the first place I'm a tourist so I stay neutral I just observe what's going on around me but uh, at the end um, I remain French so <laughs> when I'm in good mood and I just want to interact and to start a small conversation as much as I can and I try to scratch under the <laughs> painting and the sad and serious painting that's all around mm -hmm. and I scratch a bit to see who they really are and try to arouse us normal human emotions and connections yeah we're different I guess <laughs> What are the main stereotypes that didn't come out to be true when you traveled here that you had or you heard of and then it completely crashed as soon as you landed? Were there any? Yes, a lot, of course. <laughs> With regard to the stereotype I built on my own, I mean, I'm a passionate reader of Dostoevsky, so... Me. I don't know why, but at one point I thought they were all hysteric and all emotional and more or less uh, with this uh, high amplitude of emotion all day long. Oh, so it's quite opposite to what we were just discussing, that uh, in fact we turned out to be super cold and reserved. In the first place, they are like this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> some of them are passionate and uh, uncontrollable. <laughs> unstable, but other are perfectly fine, perfectly <laughs> sane, and <laughs> I don't know if this is the way they express it, but this is very moving and touching, and they have strong emotion, and uh, there's a high amplitude in personal relations as well. Of course, Dostoevsky couldn't be wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> by any means. Where did your interest derive from towards Dostoevsky or some other maybe novelists of uh, the 19th century? This is a good question, actually, because, um, I mean, you, Aljona, told me that you had to learn and read Dostoevsky when you were at school, right? Yeah, we all do this. That's part of our compulsory program. We start with maybe as light reading as uh, Chekhov and Gogol, and then we move on towards Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, and uh, the most important pieces of Russian classics, as you know, like War and Peace, Crime and Punishment, and um, everything of that kind. And uh, unlike you, unlike yeah. us, so we, how we didn't have to read the Russian classics. We had to read all the books. And lucky you. <laughs> uh, maybe lucky me, but unfortunately, when it's compulsory, this is my personality, I tend not to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> and it tends to bore me and especially arts and books are really about style and emotion for me of course you can learn some things but the form is very important and uh, when he, when I was at school really I didn't read that much that many books that was very boring and uh, by the time I turned 20 I realized that I was really passionate about books just because uh, I was watching a video on YouTube so, and a guy was talking about the book mm -hmm. he was a quote he was uh, this book and the way he was talking about it uh, made the whole difference for me because at one point it was the Frenchman? It was a Frenchman, mm -hmm. and I realized that um, 
maybe books are not that boring in the end. Mm. And like, like they were, I was at school, yeah. like I thought they were. So, and since that time, I've started to read a lot and I really enjoyed it because it created a lot of emotion. It helped me to understand who I am and who are the people around me. Why do they behave that way? Why do I behave that way? And to learn more about history, psychology, economics, politics, you name it. And there's uh, nobody in front of you. So there's no ego game at play as mm, well. That's a good point. So which means it's, I mean, at least for me, it's much, yeah. much easier to learn things. So it had little to do with your, uh, say, family background that you already uh, yes. spoke on? Yes. No, no. My fr I mean, there were some books at home for sure, mm -hmm. but uh, my family was not that much into book. And uh, I discovered Dostoevsky because I was, when I studied in London, uh, the London School of Economics, I was reading a lot about philosophy. Mm -hmm. And one day I read that uh, quote from uh, Nietzsche famous German philosopher that said everything I learned about psychology I learned it from Dostoevsky and I say who is this guy of course I heard about him the crazy Russian writer <laughs> but uh, I the most depressed one maybe <laughs> depressed but I thought that he was completely crazy and uh, psychologically unstable but he was in, like, maybe, he spent yes. quite some time in the psychiatric clinic or something like this no, that's a well no, no, I think no, so no mental breakdowns yeah mental he did breakdowns but um Then I started to read a very easy and simple and famous one, which was The Player. Really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. The way he was talking about people. I mean, at least it made a lot of sense to me. It echoes maybe who I am. Emotion and the style was moving and overwhelmed me. And this book about The Player, when the Mujik get in the casino and in the book and went completely crazy about played his whole life and yeah. won it all and the way Dostoevsky was describing his internal state his emotion was really overwhelming and so yeah the player is a brilliant piece when it comes to unveiling some of the personalities and at the same time Dostoevsky is extremely Russian when it comes to describing some very tiny details of um, daily life that I always thought are so unknown to foreigners so what would you say against this can you give me an example what's So what's so Russian about this? Just how miserable we can feel it sometimes with no reasons. <laughs> and again, this comes to back to the point of you speaking on this amplitude of emotions and having ups and downs. I always found Dostoevsky to be so Russian because the way he talks about these extremes, this opposites, mostly downs, let's admit it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. French classics are not like this at all. When you read Balzac, basically, I mean, This is one of the most famous French book, Illusion Perdue de Balzac, has mm -hmm. been made into a movie recently. Mm -hmm. And this is a brilliant uh, novel that really talks about Parisian and French people. It was uh, one century and 50 years ago. It doesn't change anything. When you read this novel, it's really Parisian are still Parisians with their ambitious. I mean, they come from the smaller countries in France and they are all arrived with their dreams and hope in Paris and they try to be successful and to earn a lot of titles or money or fame. And sometimes they all fail miserably. But it's really all about uh, materialistic uh, gains and the way this author talks about it, it did not really make some sense for me because mm -hmm. Dostoevsky have this ability to talk about um, intensity. And intensity is the key. Um, I'm al I've always been passionate and interested in intense people because they are they're different from the rest, different from a rage, I would say. Intense being harsh or intense being just over-emotional or intense being what? No, in what okay. they do and... Of course, in terms of emotion as well, whether it's a bad emotion or a good emotion. And uh, Dostoevsky was able, I think, to describe these people in depth because he was like this. He was different, he was special, and he talked about it at length in uh, Crime and Punishment when he said that there are those who have to create a new world and those mm -hmm. who just 
need to reproduce it. The hero and the main protagonist of Crime and Punishment is like this, and he tries to prove himself that he's different, and he ends up killing an old woman to finish in jail. There's this mysticism as well that is not very present in France anymore. Ideas and this vision of life that might be more than just something rational. And, yeah. and Dostoevsky is really about that. He was the one who was able to talk about the things and to get into this human psychology and to show us how we are all humans of paradox and we are able to do the best and the worst at the same time and we are the same person. This, this, this harmony, this uh, completude of emotion, whether they are bad or wrong, is the genius of Dostoevsky. He made the whole revolution when it comes to moral. And this is why Nietzsche built his whole philosophy on Dostoevsky novels. And you're not really able to find this in uh, French traditional novels. Oh, you need to start your own fan club of Dostoevsky lovers in Paris. Every time I talk to you on Dostoevsky, I'm amazed by how much you admire him. I'm hoping that more people, especially young people, get themselves familiar with, with the Russian classics. Yeah, but you see, you can't force people. Because for me, it was really a coincidence. It's a fortune. Every coincidence is a fortune in that matter. Uh, okay, we debated much, obviously, because my question started with the stereotypes and the ones that uh, didn't come out to be true. On the other hand, I'm wondering whether you have acquired any new stereotypes or whether that's something that you can make a big generalization on. Well, okay. in, in the current uh, international situation, uh, you're well aware that it's uh, complicated to be a Russian abroad. And even in France, the news all day long. And uh, I was pleased to see that this is not true at all. People are balanced. They have different opinions. Normal people in the end, just human beings. And I know some of them and now I'm in Moscow and I can tell, I guarantee, they are brilliant beings and they are not responsible in any way for what's going on. Um, so you're not just starting a fan club. So you're starting your own article at Le Monde or whatever it is, <laughs> <laughs> which would echo my podcast. I'm going to try to publish it, but I'm not sure it's going gonna, it's gonna to be approved. But we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, this is the privilege of traveling and of being a tourist and a visitor that you can see with new eyes what's all around and that most people don't see because they're just stuck in daily routine. One of the cliches that might be true is that there's this, uh, they're very proud as well, patriotic, even though some might have some doubts about this. And I've been with you to this uh, May celebration that was impressive, outstanding. I've never seen anything like it in my life, even in France. These kind of gatherings, popular gatherings, cannot happen. Are you France. talking about Immortal March? And all the rest that was around this, Immortal March, uh, above all, this is moving. I've never seen anything like it. And as far as I remember, this was a spontaneous, popular uh, initiative. This is really Russian. I mean, you can do this in France. People won't be able to gather around such an emotional and deep and serious topic like war, death, patriotism, and uh, being proud of your family and of your nation and of your history at the same time. So maybe it's a mix of feelings. But yeah, it's a mix. So that's what I was just about to say, because don't you find that it is because it's such a huge tra tragedy to us, which is not comparable to the tragedy of any other nation. That's why we stay so still strongly connected to the day, mm. to this historical past, which also presents to be a victorious mm -hmm. historical mm -hmm. past for us. Yes, and this ability to come all together around a common history, around a common suffering, even though it was in the past. Even for Bastille Day, mm -hmm. let's face it, nobody does anything. Just people stay at home. They don't. It's a bank holiday. Some people just go on the Champs-Élysées to see the military parade. And uh, just people don't care. The, the link has been cut in a way, with uh, the past and history. 
And, um, and do you view it as a negative thing? I view it as a negative because you have to get together. It's pleasant when you, you can share these various serious and fundamental things with people around you, whether they are foreign to you, but you know that you belong to the same family in a way. You share things with, with one another. A common history, it creates bonds between people, even though they don't talk to one another on a daily basis. At a certain moment, they are able to get together. And that was a great moment and unique moment, I'm sure. And then I'm very pleased to hear that you've experienced this and that you have uh, accumulated such warm, uh, bright emotions, probably for the rest of your life, being a witness of such an event. Yeah, I'm hoping you would remember this with warmth. Do you think there is something that you'd never be able to understand in Russians in terms of habits, customs, or behavior, something unfamiliar and foreign and even maybe wild to you? I mean, I can understand what I have in me already. You cannot understand something that's completely foreign to you. You can uh, understand the world, but a, wor a world uh, covers many feelings, experiences. So if it's not in you already, you won't be able to understand it really. And what I might not be able to understand is why sometimes it's so dirty and why sometimes some infrastructure are not working. Yeah, for instance, in yeah. <laughs> I was in the build in a building last <laughs> time and it was so dirty and I didn't understand why people were not concerned about this because this is their building. I understand that they're just paying a rent or they're just living in a defined apartment, but the shared spaces, the stairs and the hall where they live every day. So this is their home as well. It's not just their apartment where they pay rent. And why Why didn't anybody took 20 seconds to just clean them? We're here just to to listen to your perspective and to your experience in this. And of course, I can share out of mine as well. And, and I would be the last person to be accusing our own nation of anything. But that's what I see since day zero of my life, that we do not take well care of the Uh, communal spaces and some public spaces and something then belongs to to someone else but personally there are probably many historical theories of why this is the case but this is uh yeah this is a set point of uh, of what our daily life is comprised of yeah because this is a very important even though it seems uh, trivial to, to talk about this i mean in the end this is it defines how you behave with one another it absolutely defi it defines a, a cultural background When I go to Germany, everything's clean, the public spaces. So people seem to be very concerned about public spaces. And even though they do not belong to them directly as an individual, they are very concerned about it. Everything's well in order, everything's clean. And when you go to Northern Africa, Algeria, I've been there. Well, this is the, I mean, you go into people's apartment, it's so clean and well taken care of. But when you get outside, people don't care at all about public spaces. They don't care. This is not their family or, 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 um, or they, they just don't care about it, the public space. And, and this is very important, I think, because in the end, there's a lot at stake here. It's much more than just dirt or, or being uh, or a clean environment. It does a lot. It means that you are content about the public space, sure. whether it's about materialistic things or political or anything you want. It's a certain behavior. So when it comes to the government's responsibility, they do their job because Streets and sidewalks are much more clean than in France and in Paris. But when it's up to the people directly, which means a stair in a building, it seems to be a bit dirty and people are maybe unwilling. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't be closer to the most interesting and sensitive topic. And then, um, have you ever been in a relationship with a Russian? 
And you mentioned that you have, I guess. Yes. So can you talk more on this? Just how do you find it? What I mean, it's too broad. It's too broad. It's too complicated. Well, can we you, have time. Don't can worry. You, can you be more specific? <laughs> there must be some very interesting peculiarities that we're all dying to hear. Well, uh, I must say that in the first place, it's uh, always, at least for me, more pleasant to date someone with a different uh, cultural background because it's more exotic and it's full of uh, mystery and you are very curious and this is an adventure as well because uh, you don't know what it's going to be like, really. When you date people within the same city or country, or you more or less know how it works. You know the rules, the code, the tacit codes and uh, how the, the, pl the game is going to be played. So there's less, uh, I mean, the Russian girls I've met and uh, I've dated, it's really about dealing with uh, dangerous uh, weapons. It's a <laughs> dangerous game. It's a very dangerous game. And, uh, and maybe the most dangerous one there is. But, what uh, do you but, mean? But what this do you is, mean by this? Is, uh, <laughs> this is exciting at the same time, but it can be very dangerous. Because, uh, I mean, emotions are pretty much very intense and, uh, and there's all sorts of crises, ups and downs. Uh, it's like being in a Dostoevsky novel, The Demons, maybe. And, uh, but this is very exotic, this is very pleasant. And I really like this uh, traditional way, uh, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, of uh, interacting with one, one another. The roles are well-defined, and you know what's expected pretty much, uh, and they are very feminine. Uh, they really take care about their appearance, uh, sometimes a bit too much. Maybe unlike some French men, and um, are more into... French girls, normal French girls. Independent, emancipated women. Emancipated mm -hmm. women, independent girls. and uh, But when it comes to me, maybe this is my cultural background and my family values. I'm really, I really enjoy this. But of course, it comes at a cost. You have to behave <laughs> like a real man. You have to take charge. You to take responsibilities of many things. And of course, there's a lot of emotion at stake. But each time, each different, each stories are very different from one another, but still... There's Age story. You sound as if you've had millions of those. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few stories. Uh, I mean, I've dated a girl, in Russian girl in Paris, but she was uh, living in France for many years. That was a bit different. She started to adapt and to resemble French girls, but uh, the two times I've dated the Russian girls that were living in Moscow, uh, that was a different story, and... Um, mm. Of course, these girls were very special and uh, very intelligent and, uh, uh, and, 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 and very, 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 very unique in a way. So this is very hard to make a generalization. But um, of course, you always have this uh, dipl diplomatic passport. There's a, a mythology behind this. There's a Eiffel Tower, taste, culture, and it, it comes with you. It's like a package. You're, yeah, I'm, like a I'm, package I'm, of cliches. I'm, We're, I'm, yeah. I'm Cyril, but with all the cliché about Frenchmen, and it's the same with me. When I'm starting to date a typical Russian girl, uh, she comes with all these clichés and uh, cultural uh, things that I like about Russia. But of course, then this is a relation, so you have to know the person and know how to interact with one another, which might be difficult with regard to some point because there are some tacit rules or way of behaving and uh, you have to find a balance and you have to be able really to be curious and to be um, able to discuss things because if there's a taboo at one point there's going to be a quiproquo I mean there's much more room for a quiproquo in this kind of relation than uh, with a relation normal relation with this so what you're saying is that oh, you weren't really challenged yet to an extent where you felt like oh it's too much or I can't deal with this any longer I so, mean, sometime it was Sometimes it was, but um, 
but you're learning. I'm learning. As we can uh, see. Yeah, you cannot date someone with a different cultural background if you're not curious and if you stay with your prerogative and your expectations that are from your, your own cultural background. So you have really to be curious and open-minded and uh, willing to adapt and to find a balance. But this is already the case when you date someone from your own country. Yeah. It will be curious to find out how your story rolls out in the future. Have you ever been in trouble with the Russian authorities? Uh, so far, so good. Maybe at the at maybe the after this po- this podcast, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> when I arrived at the border and they checked my passport for tens and tens of minutes, unlike uh, in different countries, but I'm I'm sure this mm-hmm. is a normal procedure. And uh, maybe they were wondering why French guy is uh, getting to Russia in these troubled times. But uh, no, so far so good. Uh, never been asked anything, whether it's in the metro with my bag, no, nothing. So. But I know that you make a lot of fun seeing so many different forces or even military, different services in the public spaces or even the security checks that people are made to go through at the railway stations. So what's your perception of this? Maybe in terms of change since 2014, which is one of the questions. And uh, just in general, do you find it as normal as uh, somewhere else abroad? What would you say? Yeah, yeah this, is, this is very interesting. I, I can say that for sure that the military or security presence is more important, at least in Moscow, than uh, in Paris. This is for sure. I feel very, very safe here. But I don't know if it's really because it's safe or if it's because just I don't have any trauma right now I don't have the experience of maybe street violence robbery but but so far I feel very safe and even the way people behave they seem to be very guarded whether it's in the street or in public spaces in the metro unlike in France when sometimes people really look at one another and you know the look might be impolite because you come into the other person's intimacy. You look curious or with bad intentions. It's a very aggressive way of looking at one another. Here people seem to uh, they seem to be not really interested and curious about who you are, how you dress, how you look. So you feel, you feel like people are not interested. But at the same time, you feel okay because if they're not interested, there's uh, nothing to answer or to do. And I feel v- very safe. And it, I don't think it's related to this uh, security mm-hmm. presence, even though it played its part. But at one point, if something bad happens, I'm not sure that these guys I've seen in the major <laughs> are ready to <laughs> act. Are ready to act? Are going to be able to do something about it? But um, yes, I feel very safe, and uh, people are not loud. They do not speak loud. Nobody is really shouting. People are very quiet in their own thoughts. When it comes to sound and to uh, looks, I feel very, very safe. And even in this uh, tiny village I've been to recently, people were... Which is what? Which is uh, Vladimir, Mm -hmm. a few hours... Tiny village, come on, it's a city of 350 uh, (laughs) to 1,000 people, (laughs) residents. In this huge megapolis of uh, Vladimir, (laughs) I felt uh, very safe, actually. There was uh, people who were quite nice, decent, and uh, and, uh, yeah, they they are not aggressive in any manner. Speaking of looks, this is very interesting because I know how much you like paying attention to people in quite precise details. And I wanted to ask uh, the question on, on this in particular. What is that, that that comes to you as a surprise when you look at all of us around here? Well, unlike in Paris, the fun thing that uh, struck me is, of course, uh, immigration. From a visual point of view, where, in, where you are in Paris or in London or in New York, these cities are very cosmopolitan and uh, with 
everything it brought. When, you come, when I arrived in Moscow, and I can understand that you told me that there's still, and I can see that there's some immigration from former Soviet Republic, but actually it's not as uh, important and as uh, impressive than, than in France. What do you mean important? Well, still the vast majority of mm -hmm. people I see look like Russian, the same. Okay. They look like they are all cousins. And, um, they look like locals, pretty they much. They really look like locals, unlike in Paris, where where the whole world is there. People from uh, Black Africa, Northern Africa, the Middle East, mm -hmm. Vietnam, China, which makes a very cosmopolitan city. And here, um, this process is not that well developed so far. So this is the first thing that struck me. But when it, when it comes to how people dress, if this is your question... Yeah, possibly. Well, I'm from Paris, though, yeah. so I'm, I'm very... Uh, it's very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> of course, people are very well-dressed in Paris, very stylish. They take care uh, and very concerned how about how they look. Is it harmonious, stylish or not? And... Um, You can see uh, pretty much everything here. <laughs> the, there are some youngsters that are quite stylish. Mm. Maybe it's because they travel a lot. Of course, there's some styles that are not really tasteful because it's full of color. It's a bit too much. It's a bit too oriental. It's uh, too flashy. And uh, it's like having too much light in the eyes. It prevents you from opening the eyes, really. And I like it. It's uh, diversity. Oh, so you said diver diversity. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you. But you don't find a Moscow very cosmopolitan, but you find it pretty diverse. In terms of social classes, it is very diverse. You can tell right away that there are many inequalities. And in terms of style, there are different influences as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, these people from former Soviet Republic or even from uh, the Dagestani, Dagestan or Chechnya, They have a different style. You can, you can, you can <laughs> tell, tell right you away. You can tell right away, and some, sometimes it's not very tasteful, but it's not to me to judge. But it's bearable for you as a Frenchman. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> like a Russian pajama style. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it's very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you should get one as a souvenir. What is the most weird gastronomic experience that you've had here? And it might not be super weird, but something that came as a complete surprise to you in terms of uh, taste combination. <laughs> Can you think of something like this? Uh, this is a tough question. The first thing that struck me when I arrived for the first time in Russia was the eating pattern. In France, we uh, as French people, we do, uh, do eat more or less at uh, regular hours. Mm -hmm. You have breakfast in the morning at 7, 8, 9. Then there's lunch at around midday. And then there's dinner in the evening. And that's it. And the meal is well organized as well. There's a, an entrée, which means a starter, most often a salad. And then there's the main dish, meat and, uh, and rice, pasta, and then uh, a dessert. So everything is pretty much organized. And of course, the first thing that struck me here is that uh, people eat pretty much when, whenever they want. <laughs> when they get hungry, that's what they, they call get, it. When <laughs> they get hungry. And I remember when I got into this restaurant in St. Petersburg a few years ago, and I ordered the starter, the main dish, and the dessert. And just the waitress brought all these <laughs> dishes at the same time. At the time. same time, well, the time. There was the marmalade next to the meat, <laughs> <laughs> next to the salad. <laughs> that was surprising. <laughs> Not to mention that uh, it was four in the afternoon. <laughs> and, uh, when it comes to food... Uh, been told by some Russian people, I mean, Russian former immigrants that lives in France now, that there's no such a thing as Russian cuisine. But of course, mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, cuisine from all over the former Soviet Republic. Well, I know you've had quite a few revelations lately. Some street food in Moscow, 
Uh, of course, uh, shawarma. Shawarma, here we go. That's what uh, I wanted to hear. Shawarma <laughs> is a very interesting dish and a very <laughs> non-expensive. <laughs> at your own risk, I found a really nice uh, shawarma street restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was uh, some sort of uh, an experience. After <laughs> being to Patriarch Pound uh, fancy restaurants, <laughs> I ended up in this uh, shawarma, shawarma street food <laughs> restaurant. Such a contrast in experience. Uh, a land of contrast, you see, back to Dostoevsky. <laughs> a land of contrast, of uh, contradiction and of intensity. Exactly. Uh, maybe this is what life is all about. Intensity, emotions, and this is what I like about Russia. Oh, yeah. Really alive here. <laughs> a lot of intensity. This was an extremely interesting conversation. In the last bit, is there a message that you would love to send to us Russians in these difficult times and maybe even independently of the times, whether it's a piece of advice or something to take more care for? Anything that you'd love to share? Well, uh, on a political scale, I would say just, of course, this is a very troubled time, but you have to remain proud of who you are because nobody is going to respect you You, you have to be proud of yourself. doesn't matter. Never excuse yourself for who you are because uh, just people will see this as a sign of weakness and nothing else. So whether it's about being Russian, of course, you have to be balanced. You have to make up your mind about things that are going on, but always feel proud and never complain, never excuse yourself and never try to fake and mimic and become someone else. And there's this Chinese saying that you never, you wash uh, dirty clothes At home. Mm, we have a very similar at saying. Home, yeah, yeah. That's that you uh, never, you never insult. Take the stuff out of your own. Stuff, yeah. Uh, or ex 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 express that's difficulties true. or critiques. Do you have something similar in French? Not really. Unfortunately, but this is. Uh, I think this is a life rule, and this applies as well when it comes to citizenship, culture, etc. So of, of course. course, we have to be open to debate and conversation with smart people, and and sharing and sharing ideas and being curious. But uh, when it comes to insult or aggression never excuse yourself for who you are personal scale i would say that and it's, it this even applies to me i mean after covid just focus on what you control focus on your life personal life family life um, professional life this is what matters in the end this is your reality the rest is just going on television and this is not real and it's i really think about it and i realized this when we were all locked down in our houses in france during the covid pandemic is that in the end this is very important to focus on what you control And relax about the rest because being worried and stressed about your problem is not going to solve them. So enjoy life. Enjoy the time, the time you have with your friends and, uh, and do what you want to do because in the end this is all going to matter. And the rest is just going to be a problem in your mind. And, uh, and let's, let's move on. This is extremely valuable to hear. Thank you, Cyril, so much. And maybe just the ultimate one that came just to my mind. One thing, if you were to choose, the one French thing that you'd love Russians to know about, any French thing, whether it's the taste of camembert or how many stairs there are at the Eiffel Tower, I don't know, <laughs> that you'd love Russians to get familiar with. What do you mean exactly? Just a kind of a ultimate no, advice. Maybe we're going to need another conversation <laughs> about this. But uh, no, I just would say you're always welcome. Even though it's complicated at the politi political scale. No, right be specific. Now, we're very much into in the French people in general. And I know this even around me, those who are not really into Russian culture and history. And maybe, I mean, you come to Paris and uh, I mean, I'm sure you, you'll find a lot of pleasure in art, statism, culture. And that, that, that's it pretty much. <laughs> okay, thank you. I want to torture you <laughs> at length <laughs> on this. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation with you, Israel. 
Thank you for inviting me. And again, it's a pleasure being here with you in Moscow. Likewise. This is pretty much it. My name is Alene and I would love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding the topics for the next episodes of Dear Russians. Please share this out and leave your likes and comments on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox or any other platform. Have a wonderful week and stay tuned for Dear Russians after all. <laughs>